I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome, everybody, to episode 384 of the podcast. I am happy, as always, to be here with you. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please get over there and bang that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action that's coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, I have got an incredible guest for you guys today. Sean Hannity is an absolute ratings juggernaut when it comes to primetime cable news. His show Hannity is watched by millions of viewers each and every weeknight. I don't believe anybody has interviewed President Donald Trump more or better than Sean Hannity. It's not often that you get a chance to hear Sean Hannity talk about his personal life, so I'm honored that he's decided to spend a few minutes here with me today. He just recently released his first book in over 10 years, Live Free or Die, which has sold over half a million copies in just three weeks. Threshold Editions has already gone back for a fourth printing. Simon & Schulster expects Live Free or Die to be one of the year's biggest books, and that is no surprise. Sean has got a dynamic personality and a sense of humor, and his schedule is extremely tight, so I really appreciate him finding the time to do this interview here with me. Sean Hannity will be here in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. And today's interview with Sean Hannity was recorded on video and is available for you guys to watch on my YouTube channel. So if you would like to watch today's conversation between Hannity and myself, please hit me with a subscribe on YouTube. The link is in the description of today's podcast episode. All right, and I do understand the climate surrounding this year's presidential election, and unfortunately, it has caused major problems with so many families. The political atmosphere is just a toxic one in the country right now, but I do have faith that this too shall pass and that much better days are ahead for what I believe is the greatest nation on the face of the earth. And if you enjoyed today's episode with Sean Hannity, I highly recommend you flip it back and take a listen to my interviews with Eric Trump. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, my pillow founder Mike Lindell, actor Dean Cain, UFC President Dana White, Alan West, David J. Harris Jr., and of course, yesterday's interview with Sean Parnell. As for the rest of this week, tomorrow on the podcast, NFL Hall of Fame linebacker Andre Tippett will be here. And Friday, former Navy SEAL, Medal of Honor recipient, and former U.S. Senator of Nebraska, Bob Kerry, will be closing out the week with the first Frogman Friday edition of the new season. All right, so let's go, dads. And if you do enjoy listening to the show, please consider hitting me with a rating and a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever it is that you enjoy listening to the show. And as always, please help me spread the word about this podcast to every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list. Let them know about the show that's here celebrating fatherhood and family life. Fatherhood rocks, family values rule, and every day is Father's Day right here with me. And I'm going to be right back with Sean Hannity. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, the barbershops are finally open, but I can tell you right now, there's hair in one place they're never going to cut, and that's right around the area that made you a father in the first place. And when it comes to such a delicate area, you need the right tool for the job. The Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 is a premium electric trimmer that is waterproof with skin-safe technology designed to reduce nicks so it tugs in those valuables in your short pants. Also, Manscaped just released their Shears 2.0 luxury four-piece nail kit featuring tempered stainless steel tools and includes tip tweezers, rounded point scissors, fingernail clippers, and a medium grit nail file so you can pluck your eyebrows and trim your nails in style. And right now, First Class Fatherhood listeners are going to save 20% off your order, plus get free shipping with my special promo code FATHER. Visit manscaped.com and use the promo code FATHER and save 20% off your order, plus get free shipping. Manscaped.com, promo code FATHER, and you can shave that unwanted hair in your underwear today. 
Joining me now, First Class Father, Sean Hannity. Welcome to First Class Father. Alec, well, I don't know. I haven't gotten a grade from my kids yet. I always, I always said, all right, what's your grades? You know, uh, two big rules in my house were, uh, okay, your job. I'm not going to make you wash dishes like your dad did at 12 every Friday, Saturday, Sunday night for 10 hours in a restaurant. But I expect you to, they're, they're both athletes, so I expected them to do the best they can do in school. And then, you know, if I'm going to pay for coaches and, and all this and travel with them everywhere, I, I just want 100 percent effort, effort yeah. and attitude. That was it. So um, anyway, uh, I'm, I'm probably going to be learning from you. So, well, let's kick it off right here, Sean. This is an honor for me to have you here. How many kids do you have and how old are they? I do. I have my son is 21. Interestingly, he will be 22 on Election Day. He was born Election Day, 1998. I knew he was a conservative, though, because uh, it was a bad night. And uh, he cried. I cried. He cried. I no, I'm kidding. But um, so he is uh, he's a senior now in college. And I'll tell you, just blink your eyes and it's gone like the Kenny Chesney. song. just blink or or the other Kenny, Kenny Chesney song. My, I just dropped my daughter off at college. She's uh, 19 in two days. And she. Uh, you know, there goes my life. There goes my future. I actually sent her a link to that song by Kenny Chesney. Dad, do you have to be that dramatic? I'm like, I'm oh, sorry. Okay. Just, you know, <laughs> forgive me for being a dad. Well, listen, Sean, obviously you've had an extensive career here in the media. You're crushing it yeah. in the ratings all the time. Along this journey that you did have, about how old were you when you first became a father? And how did becoming a dad kind of change your perspective oh, on yeah. life? I'll give you. So I was born in 61 and my son was born, as I said, uh, Election Day, 1998, November 3rd. So you do the math. You're younger than I am. So 61, 71, 81, 91, 37. I was older. Changes everything. I mean, you know, I, I, I have to guess to give a little bit of my background because and my mindset and my thinking when, you know, when you grow up in a house where your mom grew up poor in the South Bronx and was a prison guard that worked double shifts my whole life growing up, my dad grew up poor in Bed-Stuy and he was a family court probation guy and a waiter on the weekends. And he, you know, and, and they get to a 50 by 100 lot, you know, sort of like those, those Levitt style houses, as they call them in Long Island, uh, with older sisters in one bathroom. I called that hell on earth, uh, but putting that aside. So th their perspective on life had a pr pretty profound impact on me. Their parents, my the poor dad, his mom died from complications from his childbirth not long after he was born. So he was kind of shuffled from family member to family member. All four of my grandparents from Ireland, they were dirt poor when they came here. So when, you, when they had that background, my dad fought four years in the Pacific and so that that was all brought into my house. I worked. I was eight years old. You're supposed to be 12. I had a paper out. I broke the law. It was in my sister's name. I was 12 years old. I was washing dishes every Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, busy restaurant by hand. And and I, I earned my money. My parents never cared. I was 12, 13 years old coming home every Friday, Saturday night, flying home on my bicycle after having two St. Pauli girls at the bar um, which they let you do kind of nobody really paid as much attention as they do now. Right. And so th they didn't care. I, they, they wanted me working. They knew when I was working, I was out of trouble. So with that said, it had a pretty profound impact in terms of when I, whenever opportunities happen, I didn't get into radio and TV to make money. I never, 
I thought I was happy when I was paid $19,000 a year in 1990 in Huntsville, Alabama. That was my first paid gig. I'd started, you know, at a college station years earlier. So, uh, you know, from that perspective, I just loved it. The light went on. It changed my life. Everything I did for work from the time I was young through the time I got behind a radio microphone in my late mid to mid to late 20s, um, it just changed my life. I, that's all I wanted to do. I wanted to do nothing else. And so I followed a passion at that point versus just earning money. But I was single at the time. And so it wasn't a big deal. And then in Huntsville, I ended up getting married. So um, the, you know, I, I always felt that work, I, I say to my staff, I give bonuses to everybody every year, money equals freedom. So there was a big part of this was always financial for me. I, I got to provide, I got to provide better than, you know, maybe what my parents were able to do for me, although everything they did was so me and my sisters could go to a, a Catholic private school. So that was always in my head. So I just worked, 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 kept my head down and thought, you know, knowing this crazy business I'm in that I may not survive the next day. So then I would take opportunities every time I had a chance to go to the next market. I got a chance from Huntsville to audition in Atlanta. I did two days audition. I got hired. I moved to Atlanta. Uh, then I got hired. I started doing a lot of TV in Atlanta. CNN, believe it or not, fake news uh, would have me on as a guest all the time because in comes this flamethrowing, you know, uh, conservative radio host that, you know, lit it up on the air because they were kind of dull and boring even back then. And so, you know, a career was born. I, I didn't plan any of it. I'm blessed. So and then I got back to where I was born and raised, which was in Long Island, New York. And, you know, I, I've been on Fox since my 25th year. I'm like the old timer now. Well, one of the things I talk about all the time on this podcast here is the fatherless crisis that we have going on in our country right now. We You're, have too many kids are growing up without right. a dad in their life. And we're seeing the results of that play out all across the country right now. And yeah. so one of the one of the biggest parts about that is the discipline aspect, because I know for one thing, if I was throwing bricks through windows, I would I would rather the cops catch me than my father catch me. So oh, I, I, yeah, don't, exactly. I, I don't think a lot of the kids have that. So I wanted to kind of ask you, uh, what type of disciplinarian are you as a dad? And is it different than the discipline style that you grew up with? Yeah, no, I mean, I got listen when I got in trouble and we were a pretty incorrigible group of kids. It was so different than. I get off the school bus if I even went to school that day. I cut school a lot all throughout grammar school and high school and get off the bus and bolt for, you know, drop my bag, get on my bike. I'd be off wherever. We always played either, you know, football, basketball, hockey. We played a lot of hockey. I was a big hockey guy. And, you know, I was gone. My parents didn't know where I was. They didn't ask where I was. And but I had to be home by dark. That was the rule. So it'll be the wintertime. And I'm like, it gets dark a lot later. That's not fair. Whatever that was. And it's not like we had big family dinners every day. Usually my mom was working a 16 hour shift. So but when my father was home, when I got in trouble, which was a lot like real trouble, my dad was hardcore. I mean, the belt, boom, boom. And, um, and, and, you know, I know everyone, I never hit my kids. I just never did. I took their PlayStation, their Xbox, their phone. Earlier when they were young, these little hand gadgets when we were in the car, I just took them. And it's like it was prison to them. Or I would put them in their room and say, you're not allowed out to you apologize to your sister or you apologize to whoever. And so I, I didn't I found I didn't need to do that. 
but I never felt traumatized because my father hit me with the belt. I actually look back on it and say, every time he did it, I deserved it. I earned it. I deserved it. I knew what the rules were. I didn't listen. And, you know, he did his thing. And that was, and I mean, that was mainstream. That was common back then. So, yeah, I, but, yeah. You know, and I think one of the things, too, we see now in this me generation where everyone's taking pictures of themselves and posting about yeah. themselves, except when it comes time to take responsibility. And then it's always yeah. somebody else's fault. It's never theirs. Uh, well, I'm, I made sure. Look, I, my kids, if I start talking about I was a paper boy, I was a dishwasher at 12. Uh, I used to be a short order cook late at late night in restaurants, then a busboy, then a waiter, then a bartender. And then later in my life, I got into construction. First, I was a house painting contractor, learned how to hang wallpaper. I uh, actually went back to college. I, I started a program to be a builder. I thought I was going to do that for my career, and I wanted to get good at it. Um, I've done everything from framing and, and roofing. I fell off a roof once, three stories. This part of my elbow here uh, was dangling separate and apart. I, I broke the radial head and separated it. You know, when I hit the ground, it was frozen ground. I was in Rhode Island at the time. And I said, you guys don't have to do that. But you're, this is what dad's rules are. Number one, the golden rule. OK, love God with all your heart, mind, soul and you treat people as you want to be treated. Rule number one. You know, I had other rules. OK, your job is school. I'm not going to make you wash dishes, but I do expect you to do your schoolwork and to excel at it. You're having a problem with the class. It's your responsibility to come tell me. And I will get you whatever help tutors you need to to help you better understand what the material is uh, because they're both athletes. You know, they started at very young ages. I mean, we traveled the country every weekend pretty much for uh, sporting stuff and, and, and tournaments that they were a part of. That was that was years of their lives growing up. And what I liked about sports is that they weren't hanging out with the dopey friends. I don't care who your friends are. They're dopey friends, right? All of them. Uh, when I was that age, all my friends, their parents rightly called me dopey. But that's when you get in trouble, when you're not supervised. So even if it was a bad tournament weekend, and there were many of them, it, you know, it, at least they were with me. They were with us. They, we were a family. You know, we we're all there together. And so uh, at the end of the day, um, I, I did some things right. I did some things wrong. Um, I wish I had more time. I was very busy at that point in my career. I, I'll never forget my father died six months after I started at Fox. And so, and I was back in New York. I'd been gone from New York for 16 years. I did not see my parents much in that 16 year period. I didn't come home a lot. And so when I got back and he, he'd stay up, I did, I did Hannity and Combs at the time on Fox. Then I'd go do a three hour radio show on WABC in New York. From 11 to 2, both my parents would watch the TV show, listen to the radio show till it was over. And then I started getting closer to my parents. I'd call them, what'd you think? Did you like the show? Did you listen? They were up. They were listening. And my dad, at one point before he died, asked me what I was getting paid. <laughs> you know, he's like, all right. And he goes, and nothing like what I'm getting paid today. He goes, okay, save every penny. Save every cent because this is not going to last. I'm telling you right now, this will never last. You're you know, you hit this, the, you hit the pinnacle now, um, which was good advice from a guy that grew up poor in the depression that spent four years in the Pacific that waited tables to send his kids to, to private school. So they get a better education that didn't buy new cars for all those early years that, that they didn't take. I can't think of my parents taking a vacation They didn't take vacations. What is a vacation? 
And I kind of am like that myself. Everyone works for me. You know, they go on these, I go on, where are you going on vacation? Greece. Where are you going? Oh, we're going all through Europe. We're going to travel to Europe. Where are you going? Uh, Hawaii. And I'm like, I did go to Hawaii once, but I worked. <laughs> it was a work vacation. Um, I go to this vacation. Let's say I've been in Baghdad. Uh, I've been to Vietnam. I've been to Singapore. Uh, I've been to Helsinki for summits. Those are about the extent of my foreign travels, you know. Yeah, my, my father was a used car salesman in the Bronx for most of yeah. his life. So growing up, we yeah, wasn't a big, big vacation guy. Very himself, negative but. connotation to a used car salesman. But there <laughs> yeah. are good ones. I'm sure your dad was one of them. Yeah, well, that's up for grabs. But I'll, I'll tell you what, one oh, thing boy. I want to oh, thing boy. I one thing I want to ask you for here, uh, uh, Sean, is because I have four kids, like I said myself. My oldest is starting high school. My youngest is my only girl. And one of the things, like all dads, I, I dread the day that she'll hit that dating scene. You're already there. So how did you kind of handle it when it came time for your kids to start dating? You know, um, I thought I'd be worse than I am. Uh, look, I don't mind telling. My daughter will kill me if I tell this story. Live Free or Die by Sean Hannity is now available from Threshold Editions. Check the link in today's show notes. America's top-rated cable news host and number one New York Times best-selling author offers his first book in 10 years, a look at America's fight against those who would reverse our traditions of freedom, a fight we can't afford to lose in 2020. Live Free or Die by Sean Hannity, available today. Check the link in today's show notes. Because I have four kids, like I said myself. My oldest is starting high school. My youngest is my only girl. And one of the things, like all dads, I, I dread the day that she'll hit that dating scene. You're already there. So how did you kind of handle it when it came time for your kids to start dating? You know, um, I thought I'd be worse than I am. Uh, look, I don't mind telling. My daughter will kill me if I tell this story. Um I probably should. I'm going to, for her sake, I love my my baby girl. I'm going to let it go. But, you know, what I will say to her, like I have certain rules for kids, right? And it's number one, never drugs. The first one's always the golden rule. Don't go near it. And I know kids, weed, it's popular. It's legal in some state. I don't care. Don't touch that crap. To me, it's a gateway drug. I am, you want to know a pet peeve? My kids, if it's ever that, that is that is a deal breaker to me. And and they know that. The other rule is, okay, I was a bartender at 17, so closing bars at, at restaurant bars at busy places at 4.30 in the morning. Uh, I drank, I was in restaurant, I had St. Pauli girls at 12. I am not afraid of an 18-year-old kid drinking, but I, t- I taught them about drinking. You know, my line is, don't be the dopey kid throwing up in the bushes, right? Everybody with drinking, you can run into real serious problems. And my kids knew of people that had serious problems. So they saw it, you know, you know, distant relatives, neighbors. They saw, you know, the the real agony and misery of addiction. And I made sure to point it out to them. And for me, what I learned as a bartender is everybody's got a number. Some people's number is they have two and they're like, you know, for some people they can sit. I've had people used to be able to sit at the bar at starting my shift at 6 p.m. When I last call five to four a.m., they're still there. So you met my father. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, probably did. But you can still converse with them. You know, do I think they were functioning alcoholics? Yeah, I do. 
but it didn't affect them. Now, for guys, it's usually they get all bravo, right? You know, macho. But for girls, sometimes they'll get flirty if they go above their number. Got to know what your number is. I, you know, I could like drink beer all day if I really wanted. I used to always joke I'm half a Heineken Hannity, um, but I don't want to drink beer all day. It gets you, you know, you get bloated. And but uh, so I've told my kids how, how to drink. Never take a shot. Never drink a punch bowl. You know, stay away from hard liquor. You know, they got this new thing, White Claw. Have you tried it? No, I, listen, Sean, I'm a recovering alcoholic myself, but oh, I, drive okay, I, know I, I drive Uber on the weekends, and it's it, and yeah. I only get drive Friday, Saturday nights down the Jersey Shore yeah. here, and it's a nightmare. And White Claw is the biggest popular thing going on. Now, mostly the thing least, I drink now is seltzer, no twist. Yeah, uh, well, then you understand the, the, <laughs> the, the dangerous, dangerous side of addiction. It's terrible. Uh, and, and by the way, I don't know how long you've been clean and sober. Good for you, because that is not easy. And I've been involved in way too many interventions in my life than more than I want to count. So, um, you know, so I, I, I'm like, and I'm, you know, for my daughter, it's like that all boys ages 13 through 30. Uh, sorry, I don't believe any of them. They're full of crap. That's my, <laughs> that's my line. It's going back to your original question. And my son, it's very simple. You treat Pete, you treat women, how you would want your own, mother and your own sister to be treated that's it and and everybody has feelings and everybody you know how you treat people matters and you don't want to hurt people be kind to people so that's 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 my rap it's like be nice to people yeah i love that sean let me let me get a quick hitter on the book here i know you got the book out right now uh, yeah. Live free or die. And listen, as parents, as dads, as family men, yeah. we want a safe country to be able to raise our children in here. So what was the genesis of this book? I know you came out with it quick here. It's right on time. What was the genesis of the book? What's it all about? It started way over a year ago because I, I saw the Democratic Party going hardcore radical socialist left. And I didn't even think it would be this bad. It's, it's live free in Latin at the bottom of the book. You can see it in black or America dies. And I just knew that this moment was coming. We now have the most radical socialist uh, a ticket of any major party in the history of this country. Their stated policies, Alec, okay, everything's going to be free. You're going to get free, guaranteed government uh, uh, education, pre-K through college, student loan forgiveness. You're going to get, uh, let's see, a free guaranteed government job, free guaranteed government uh, wage, for guaranteed government vacation, guaranteed government healthy food, guaranteed government health care, guaranteed government retirement. OK, it's impossible because simultaneously they're also going to guarantee no government energy because they're going to get rid of, you know, oil and gas and fracking and and coal, which is insane because it's the lifeblood of the world economy. So I saw this very huge split in the country. And a ch the biggest choice election we've ever had. And I saw it emerging and I see the dangers. If those stated policies, God forbid, if they're ever implemented. Well, the, I have a whole chapter in the book, Socialism, It's History of Failure, whatever name it was given. I don't care if it's the revolution in China and Mao and the tens of how many tens of millions starved to death. The former Soviet Union, their satellite states. Um, you know, where it was a, the, the proletariat, bourgeois, or, you know, the working people, this one, Venezuela, Cuba, you name it, wherever they try it, it fails. And here's the end result, predictable every single time. 
promises are never going to be fulfilled. You don't believe me? Look at all those cities run by liberal Democrats for decades. New York, Chicago. Look at what's happening in what happened in Atlanta. Look at what happened in Seattle and Portland and L.A. and San Francisco. Uh, okay, they can't even provide basic uh, safety and security for their citizens. They fail. Big F. How are they doing in these big cities run by liberal Democrats for decades on education? Guess what? We spend more per capita per student than the entire industrialized world with worst results. Another big F. How did those Obamacare promises work out? Oh, millions lost their doctors, millions lost their plans, and we're paying on average 200% more. Okay, another failure. What about your Social Security? You're a lot younger than I. Here's my prediction. You're not getting that money because the lockbox that they were supposed to put all that money in, well, they raided it and they squandered the money. I'd give them an F on that. So now we're going to trust them. And Kamala Harris is saying you don't even have your, cho- your own option to buy your own insurance. Wow, I thought liberals were pro-choice. So now they want to defund the police, no law and order. They're, they're going to force us into a government health care system when the last one failed on every level. And they're going to promise us the world. It will end in poverty, unfulfilled promises, misery, and a loss of freedom. Now, that's now becomes a de- matter of degrees. How much freedom will we lose? What? Are they going to be, you know, is this going to be Cuba? Are they going to confiscate personal property? And, and you know, how far does this go? It won't work. It is a disaster. So, you know, here we are just 60 whatever days away from, I think, the most important election in our lifetime. I'm going to drop a link to the book in the description of this podcast episode. It is an important time here. And listen, what I talk about is the family structure, the family unit, the nuclear family unit is so precious. And if we can strengthen our family units and bring God back into focus here, most of the problems we see in our country would go away. And we have these these people out there with this Black Lives Matter, and they are directly opposing the nuclear family unit. I think that's dangerous for the country. Let me tell you something. If you bring a child into this world, you know what? You have a responsibility to raise your child, to ensure your child gets an education, to ensure that your child learns right from wrong, ensure that your child learns a work ethic. Um, look, it's sort of like Rocky in the, in the, in the scene, the famous scene with his son. Uh, let me tell you something you already know. Life ain't all sunshine and rainbows. You know, nothing, nothing's going to hit harder than life itself not a matter of how hard you get hit. It's a matter of how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward and keep moving forward. You know, that's what living is. You know, you, life is tough. Read the road less traveled, Scott Peck. Life is hard. And once you accept that truth and that reality, you know, then it gets easier. It's a paradox. And so for me, it's like I, I have zero patience. My kids, I've told them, you think you're inheriting daddy's money? Ain't happening. You go or you go live your own life and you go earn your own money. Now, I will be here to help you every step of the way. If you're doing the right thing, I will be here. I will help you. I will be as generous as I've always been. But go find a life. And life is about, you know, creating goods and or services others want, need and desire. Go find what your passion is. I will support you in pursuing it. So, yeah, you know, the word of Ducre means bring forth from within. What does that mean? That means God put talent in all of us. Our jobs as parents is to bring that talent to fruition. And then, you know, you take you're the big eagle. It's time for the eaglet to fly. You drop the eagle, baby eagle, fly. You got to let your kids grow, learn, 
you know, they're going to fall down. They're going to bruise their, their foot, foot. They're going to fall off a bike. Life's tough. We got to, you know, teach them. Yeah, really good stuff, Sean. You stole the thunder there on my land. I know we're up against the clock here. On my last question, I love to ask all the dads that I get on the, uh, on the podcast you here. You touched on it right there. What advice do you have for the new father or for that about-to-be dad who's out there listening? If I could do one thing going back, I would be there more. I was gone too much. Too many books, too much touring, too much, you know, obsessed with my work. But I was with him every weekend, and my hours were not conducive to have, like, family dinners, which there's nothing I could do about that, honestly. Everybody, every every dad I know, they're working 16 hours. I don't know anybody that works eight hours. You? Everybody I know works 16 hours a day, right? Um, but I would just say, love your children. Love them. What does that mean? Everything that it means. Spend time with them and still, you know, talk about things that matter. Talk about values. You know, one thing I don't talk to my kids that much about is my job or what I do for a living or politics. I don't talk about politics. I'm sick of talking about politics. You know, I talk with my son. Like, I, I'll give you two last piece of things that work for me. I had Daddy Sunday, right, that we do. Playoff spelling, right? And Daddy Sunday was simple. We go to the store. We buy all guy food. You know, mac and cheese, rice aroni. He loved my chicken cutlets, breaded progresso, Italian style. Um, so I don't, I'll usually make those. Sometimes it'd be sausages, also chicken wings, also steaks on other days. And we watch football all day. Daddy Sunday. Um, my son's a huge Dallas Cowboys fan, which I have no idea how the hell that happened. Um, and my daughter, we did Daddy Daughter Day. Daddy Daughter Day was different. Daddy Daughter Day was, well, first of all, Daddy hates shopping. I walk into a mall and I want to take a nap. You know, like <laughs> Joe Biden's at the constant state of a nap. So I take my daughter, just us. We'd go out and I'd say, okay, you get to pick one store, any store you want. You got 10 or 15 minutes, depending on how patient I might be or tolerant of her spending time in the store. And I'd say, pick one store, go in, get whatever you want. You got 10 minutes, 15 minutes. As soon as the clock ends, go to the checkout, right? Now, I'm, you know, I'm talking about clothes. I'm not talking about, I'm not saying go to your local jewelry store and say, <laughs> I'll take this ring and that ring and that bracelet and cross. Um, and, but she was very, like, pick one thing all the time and told her friends, I said, all right, we can all do it. And then their friends are filling up baskets. I remember we were at a Target and they're like, holy, there's like three huge baskets. And I'm like, okay, I gotta, I gotta modify this a little. Um, <laughs> And then she would get to pick wherever we we're going to eat together. And Alec, I cannot tell you. I said, let's, let's go to like, you know, a nice restaurant. Let's get some. We had a favorite Italian restaurant we used to like to go to. No, let's go to Subway. No, let's go to Subway. Okay, nothing against Subway. But I'm like, sweetheart, we can go anywhere you want. No, let's go to Subway. And so <laughs> we joke about it today. But, you know, that those days to me. When uh, when I go home, when it's time for me to head home, I'm not going to be thinking, oh, I wish I worked some more. But I will be wishing for, you know, as the Lone Star um, uh, song goes, one more day. That's spend those days. That's my advice. Yeah, yeah very well said. I love the message. It's been an honor for me. I got to say, Sean Hannity, you're a first Thanks, class Alex. father all the way. And thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time here on First Class Father. I see my buddy Dana White and, and Tito Ortiz. Very cool.
Back to wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood. I got to give a special thank you once again to Sean Hannity for giving me a few minutes of his time. That was so cool. Please hit me up on Twitter, guys, or drop me a DM on Instagram. Let me know what you thought about today's episode. I always love to read your feedback. Keep it locked in. Still more action to come your way tomorrow on the podcast. NFL Hall of Fame linebacker Andre Tippett, one of the best to ever do it. He will be joining me here. And then Friday, we got our first Frogman Friday of the new season with former Navy SEAL, Medal of Honor recipient, and former U.S. Senator of Nebraska, Bob Kerry. Follow me on Instagram at Alec underscore Lace to keep up to date with all of the upcoming guest announcements. I got some real big ones coming soon. That's all I got for you guys today. I'm Alec Lace. Thank you for listening to First Class Fatherhood. And please remember, guys, we are not babysitters. We are fathers. And we're not just fathers. We are first class fathers. Your half-truths and tales As tall as the trees Have a soft feeling